Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Growing up with my brother in Baltimore and our other three siblings, we went to church religiously. Senior was a pastor. And we went to his church religiously every Sunday. I even got baptized at the age of nine. But all of that was just religious activity. My grandfather had a picture of Jesus in his office, and Jesus was on the cross. with a lot of questions in my mind because I never ever understood why this man, why Jesus was on the cross. I would see that picture just about every Sunday and I would have that question in my mind saying, why is that man suffering like that? Why is he on that cross? And as you know, the cross is really celebrated around the season of what we call Easter, where the death of Christ is celebrated on Good Friday and his resurrection on Sunday. But the gospel message got lost for me around the Easter holiday, all of the things that come with it, like growing up in the black church, you would get a new suit or a new dress to wear every year on Easter Sunday. Can I get a witness? And so I got caught up in the new stuff. I didn't get caught up in Jesus. And then the same was true with Christmas. I never understood why so much fuss and commotion was made about this baby in a manger. I never understood why. And then you would see these nativity scenes all over the place and they would always have the animals surrounding this baby laying in a crib and hay is everywhere. And then you would have three dudes with crowns on their head. One was always white, one was always brown, and one was always black. And I would look and say, now, what is all of that? I didn't understand what we would call today the incarnation and why Jesus was born. I didn't understand it. Because that holiday also got lost in all of the other stuff surrounding it, like gifts. I missed the gospel because all I wanted to know about was did my parents get me the big wheel or the green machine or the skates that I had asked for? And so the thing about those two holidays, Christmas and Easter, is that they're inextricably bound by two things. They're bound by sin and they're bound by a savior. I didn't know that coming up. And there may be people today, you, you just don't know what all the fuss is about. But you see, Jesus was born so that he could die for our sin. The good news of the gospel is that the bad news is that sin, as Jewel quoted earlier, brings death. 
physical death, but above all, eternal death, which is separation from God in a place called hell for all eternity, paying and paying and paying and paying for our sin. But the good news overrides the bad news, and that is God said, I love you so much that I'm going to die so that you can be with me. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ. He's going to be born. God is going to become man so that he can save men from their sin and bring them back to God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So on what we call Christmas, he was born. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, which was a symbol of the fact that he would be mummified or that he would die for our sins and that his body would be wrapped in a garment. But not only was he born to die, Easter reminds us that he rose again from the grave. So the gospel, the good news, that God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. This message obviously is for lost sinners who need to be saved. Because you can't save yourself, I can't save myself. And although I grew up in church, I didn't have a relationship with God. My sins were not forgiven. I hadn't received Jesus. But thanks be to God, he gave me an opportunity on June 29th, 1984, just before I turned 16 years old, where I understood the gospel and I received Jesus for myself. I realized that it wasn't about works or church, trying to do good or any of that kind of stuff. I recognized that all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have turned his or her own way, but the Lord has laid on Jesus all of our iniquity. When I heard about how much he loved me and how he took my place so that I wouldn't have to die and pay for my own sin, that message changed my life. And the grace of God just drew me in and I said on that day, I want Jesus Christ. I didn't know all that I was getting into and I still don't know all that I'm into right now but I knew that I was lost and I needed to be found and this message was good news to me that he died for me because he loves me, that my sin separates me from God, but Jesus came to bring me back to God. Only his death on the cross would satisfy the Father's wrath because as a just God, he must punish sin. But because he loves the sinner, he crushed his son. That's the good news. Oh, I know it's gory, it doesn't make sense. But greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus came into the world to save his people from their sin. Well, who are his people? Sinners. And he's a friend of sinners. So the people who get saved are people who acknowledge that they are sinners. They've missed the mark. They've fallen short. They're imperfect. They've done wrong things. They've thought wrong things. And he's come to save sinners. But he can't save people who don't think that they have sinned. He can't save people who, although they are sick, still think that they're well. So there's the beating of the breast that says, Lord, have mercy on me. I am a sinner and I need to be saved. The gospel is for sinners who need to be saved. And earlier I asked if the Lord had saved anyone this year. I didn't get any hands today. We know that he has been saving people through this ministry this year. But I do wonder, as I'm looking out at you, is there anybody out here, by a show of hands, that he has saved? Anybody out here that he has saved? Amen. 
Amen. So the gospel is for sinners, but the gospel is for sinners who are already saved. I'm going to say it to you one more time. That was quick. The gospel is for sinners who need to be saved. The good news of Jesus, that he died, was buried, and he rose again to save us from our sin. But the gospel is for sinners who are already saved. Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, for every person who raised his or her hand, the gospel is just as much for you today as it was for you when you accepted Christ however many years ago. You still need to be reminded of how much God loves you. And how not only did he die for you, but according to the writings of Paul, you died with him. Not only was he buried for you, but according to Paul, you were buried with him. And not only did he rise from the dead, Paul said we've been raised with him to walk in a new lifestyle, a new way of walking and talking. And so I am identified with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection because I accepted him as my savior. But not only am I identifying with him in that, you see, salvation has three tenses in it, past, present, and future. Remember now, Jesus, you shall call him Jesus, Yeshua. His name means savior. That's the embodiment of his mission. He came to seek and save the lost. I'm so glad the mission got accomplished with me. I'm so glad his mission got accomplished with me. So he came to save the lost. But salvation is in three tenses, past, present, and future. Yes, he saved me from my past sin. That's called justification. That's a legal term, meaning that God declares me as righteous based on my faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Why do we have to know this? Because the devil is a liar. He will do anything since he lost your soul to try to ruin the joy of your salvation. And, and if he can keep Christians ignorant of their identity and all that Jesus has done, then we're going to live like paupers instead of princes and princesses. We're going to live like slaves instead of sons and daughters. So I need to know he's justified me in the courts of heaven. Man, I am declared righteous, which also means I am declared not guilty. Not because of works which I have done, but only because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So when the accuser of the brethren, who is Satan, comes before God to accuse Chris Williamson of junk that he does every day, the father says, I hear the complaint, but he is still innocent and not guilty because of the blood of my son, Jesus Christ. I'm justified. I've been declared righteous. And then one day I'm going to be glorified, Romans 8. I'm going to be made righteous. The Bible says it doesn't appear what we're going to be right now, but we do know that when we see him, we're going to be made just like him. So we're going to get these glorified bodies and We'll never even know what the germ of sin is like anymore. I mean, new heavens, new earth, dwelling in the presence of God, worshiping God. Oh, my goodness, glorification. That's the future deliverance. And can nobody or nothing, no demon in hell, separate you from the future deliverance. We're already seated in heavenly places right now with Christ Jesus, and he ain't going to take your seat and give it to somebody else. Your seat got your name written on it in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're secured. Glorification. 
But between the past and the future, there's this thing called sanctification where he is saving me, not just from the penalty of sin, not just from the presence of sin, but right now he's saving me from the ruling power of sin in my life every day, and it's called sanctification, and that's why Jesus gave us the helper called the Holy Ghost so that we can live up to what we have attained, Philippians 3. We can walk like sons and daughters of God that he gives you a brand new want to. He, he changes everything about you and he continues to change everything about you. So like the old folks used to say, places I used to go, I don't go no more. Things I used to say, I don't say no more. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. Because if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. It's in the perfect tense. It keeps on coming. So no, I'm not perfect. But forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are ahead, I'm pressing to lay hold of Christ the way Christ has laid hold of me. I've been set free from the law, and I'm growing in the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because when I don't believe the gospel, I attempt to earn God's favor by my performance. Because what we do sometimes, we'll say, the gospel is enough to get me saved. I'm saved. I got it from here. No, you don't. You're saved unto good works. You're not saved by good works. But sometimes we think we can grit this out. We can live the Christian life in our own strength, which is why we don't pray. We don't read. We don't worship. We don't meditate. We don't memorize scripture. We don't get in his presence. We think we got this and we wonder why we're living defeated lives. And so we've got to grow in sanctification, grow in the Lord. Jesus didn't save us so that we could save ourselves. Jesus saved us so that he can be our savior today, every day, and throughout the day. I didn't accept him at camp and leave him at camp. That was the beginning of a journey together. And I can't separate from him. And he surely won't separate from me. I, I'll grieve him, but he'll never leave me. You said, okay, pastor, I need something. 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul is just giving some of his testimony about what he was before he met the Lord. How he was a persecutor, a blasphemer. Man, he tore down the church. But on the Damascus Road, he, he had a testimony. He met Jesus. And Jesus changed his life. And he said in 1 Timothy 1.15, as an aged apostle, he says, this is a faithful saying. In other words, you can bank on what I'm about to say. It's worthy of all acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. That's what Christmas is. That's why he came. That's why he was born. To save sinners. Because without his birth, we could not be born again. Without his sacrifice, we could not be made right. He came, thank God, to save us from our sin. He came into the world to save sinners. But watch Paul throw a curveball at you. He says, of whom I am chief. He didn't say of who I was chief. He talked earlier about what he did before he met Christ. And yeah, he said, I did this stuff in ignorance. And he was messed up. 
But now he's speaking in the present and he said, I am the worst sinner. An apostle who writes scripture, an apostle who is used by God to plant churches, an apostle who is used by God to see people come to Christ, an apostle who is used by God to heal people and even raise the dead, says I am not just a sinner, but I am the worst of sinners there is. So as he's writing this, Nero is on the throne. Somebody's going to go with me. All of y'all may not want to go with me down this street. Because this street is a humbling street to walk down. Because it offends Christians to think that you are not as holy as you like to think you are. Any holiness you have, first and foremost, comes from your position in Christ. But in our practice, we all need help. And the closer we get to Jesus, the more aware of our sin and our depravity we become which is why we need to remember he is still rich in grace and mercy. He saved sinners who are lost. He saved sinners who are saved. And Paul said, I am the worst. Nero ain't the worst. I am. Paul was basically saying, I am the worst sinner that I know. What about you? Do you think like that? I know sometimes I don't think like that. I, I think that I'm better than other people. And I judge people who sin differently than I do. As if there's this grading kind of a thing. Now, we know there are different consequences for sin down here. But as far as how God looks at sin, if you break the law in one point, you're guilty of having broken all of the law. And consequences of breaking the law in front of God is the lake of fire and brimstone. But somehow, someway, I walk around with rocks in my pocket, ready to stone people who sin. And I'm ready to dig out the little speck in somebody else's eye while ignoring the log that is in my own. But if I take daily strolls by the cross of Jesus Christ and even by the crib of Christ, I can't keep walking in pride long because I recognize why he came and why he died. And I humble myself and say, Lord, have mercy on me. I don't have any time to worry about Donald Trump's sin. Because according to Paul, I'm the chief of sinners, which means I'm a worse sinner than Dylan Roof. No, 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 no. Yes, I am. Because I ain't got time to worry about Dylan Roof. I pray for his soul. I pray for Trump. I pray for my family, my friends. It's me, Lord. And I thank you for Jesus saving me then. And I need him to save me now. Not so much to take me to heaven again. That's determined. No, no, I need him to save me right now. I still need Jesus to save me from myself. Because I'll mess some stuff up. Paul said, I am the chief of sin. Because of who I am. Oh, I know. Mm, that's why I need the great I am. Because I'm a mess. Yes, I'm loved. Yes, I'm a saint. Yes, I'm the righteousness of God. I am righteous, but I'm also simultaneously wretched. It's like looking at a diamond. If you look at a diamond on a white cloth, it doesn't sparkle as much. 
But if you take a diamond and put it on a black velvet cloth, man, that diamond radiates. If you don't think you need grace anymore, it's like viewing your life against a white cloth. You, you think you all that. But when you see the soot of your life, the mess of your life, it makes Jesus' grace. So I think there's a hymn that talks about, I found this pearl, I found this gem, the gospel, oh And I'm so glad, like when Peter sinned, he said, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. Because he doubted Jesus. All he did was doubt him. Jesus said, let's go fishing over here. Peter's like, Lord, we done already fished all night. You don't know nothing about fishing, you're a carpenter. But okay, since you said, let's go, we'll go. They get out there and all kind of fish jump in the boat. Peter says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. He saw his sin and his sin was doubt. And Jesus simply said to him, he didn't condemn him. He didn't just beat him over the head. He said, come on and keep following me because you're going to fish for men. You think this is something because my mercy will always lead you in repentance. So I got something bigger and better for you than fish. Come on, stand to your feet. I still need him to save me from myself. I need him to save me from my sin. I need him to save me from my flesh. I need him to save me from danger. I need him to save me from fear. I need him to save me from the enemy. I need him to save me from evil. I need Jesus to save me today from temptation. I need him to save me from sickness. I need him to save me from sinking. I need him to save me from pride. I need him to save me from self-reliance. I need him to save me from performance-based acceptance and works-based righteousness. Let me try to earn his favor today. I haven't been to church in a while. I haven't read my Bible in a while. Let me try to earn. Let me try to do something good today so he can love me. Let me tell you something. He will never stop loving you. No matter what you do. No matter what you don't do. He will never, ever stop loving you. You thought the love on the cross was something. And when you carry your cross and following him and you fall and you stumble, he still loves you. And it's that love that compels you to get back up because in him there is no condemnation. When you're in him, conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. John said in 1 John, when my heart condemns me, he's greater than my heart. My heart of condemnation. Oh, how can you not love a God like that? Who won't let you go when you try to let him go? Who won't turn his back on you when we turn our back on him and act like what we're not? You see, social media is getting the world ready for judgment day. People are parading all of their works on social media. The good, the bad, and the ugly. It's just setting the world up for judgment day because the books are going to be open. And everything that unbelievers have done, they're going to have to answer for, and they're going to be judged for. They're going to go to hell. But for a Christian, Jesus already paid for that junk for me. He's going to deal with me about how I live for him, but it's not going to separate me from being with him. It's amazing, his love for me. So Chris, be free because of the gospel. Be free enough to be a fool for Christ. Be free enough to fail, man. You're not perfect. You don't know everything. You can't be everything, but he knows everything. He is everything. Trust him. Right. Yes, Lord. 
This is why communion is so important. This is why communion is so powerful. And this is why Jesus says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me, because we have a tendency to forget the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew and for the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Listen to this. From faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. Faith in what? Faith in the gospel. From beginning to end, faith in what he did for me so that I don't get it twisted and think it's up to me now. I pray that somebody gets set free today and you get set free tomorrow when you think about the goodness of Jesus and how he went to the cross for you, how he died for you, how he was raised for you. That you'll say, oh, Lord, I'm accepted in the beloved. So it doesn't matter who doesn't accept me down here. It doesn't matter even if I don't even accept myself some days. He still accepts me. And so Jesus says, as often as you come to this table, do it in remembrance of me. So remember Jesus and forget yourself. My biggest problem is not the world. It's not the devil. It's not other folk. It's my flesh. And at times I'm focusing too much on myself and not enough on Jesus and what he's done to love a chief of sinner like me. So when I get my focus off of me and what I got to do and what I'm not doing and what I have to do, oh, let me look at all that he did for me. And then I go to Psalm 139. It talks about how I can't even number the thoughts that he has for me. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Your death sets me free. Thank you, Jesus. So remember Jesus and forget not or rather forget how you failed him. We fail him every day, throughout the day. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, we let him down. But remember Jesus and forget how you failed him. Remember how he succeeded for you. When the weight of that cross got so tough he couldn't even carry it, but he kept going. And Simon came alongside and helped him carry that cross. He stayed on the mission. He endured the cross. Remember Jesus. And forget not how he loves you. Remember Jesus and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives us of all of our sins and heals us of all of our diseases. So as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. He was born to die so that we could be born again and have everlasting life. And what a gracious God to let us get presents on what we acknowledge as his birthday. And all he wants from us is us. So the greatest gift we give him is ourselves. And for the Christian who've already, we've given our lives to Jesus, well, give it to him today. Give it to him throughout the day. Give your life to him in worship. For those of you who say, I'll never open my mouth. I don't do that. I'm not comfortable. I don't raise my hands. Brother Boston said he was close to death. And he's playing worship music. His wife is a worship singer. They never stop their praise. You mean to tell me when God raised him up from that bed of affliction that all of a sudden he ain't got no praise in his mouth? 
Let me tell you something. That man has been a walking teardrop ever since that situation. He's just putty. Because God delivered him from the gates of death. Put a new song in his mouth. Clifton gets up here and he talks about, I lost my job this year. But in the midst of the shadow of death, he never left me. He kept providing a table for me in the presence of the enemy. He continued to anoint my head. My cup ran over. In the midst of hard times, he was still with me. So Christian, I know, I know. It, it, yes, it's tough sometimes. But it ain't up to you. It's not about you. It's up to him. And it's all about him. Amen. So would you stand to your feet now? As we remember him through communion, I'm going to pray. And as you come, representative for your family may come and take communion on your own as a family or as an individual. And then after that, we'll be led in a song of reflection. We'll take our offering and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. We are only here because you came down here for us. The world thinks we're crazy, Lord. But what the world doesn't know is that what began in the manger didn't stay in the manger. The cute, precious little baby grew up to be a man. <laughs> the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. Thank you, God, that married to your justice was your mercy. Married to your holiness is your love. And you would never compromise your character to save us. And you had to punish sin. And the only one qualified to die in our place was the perfect Son of God. Ha! Thank you, Jesus for taking our place. For not only dying, but Lord, setting us free from the penalty of sin and the sting of death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your ascension. And we say, Maranatha, come on back quickly, Lord Jesus. So much stuff is going on in the world and our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. You are coming. Until you come, we will be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, testifying about how this man, who is God, named Jesus, changed our life. We remember you now through the bread and the cup, your body and your blood, on this Christmas day. Thank you that you were born so that we could be born again. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please come now to receive the elements for you and for your family.